Hello everybody. Four o'clock on a Saturday. The date is May. What's today's date? May 2nd. May 2nd. So I am Monte Alexander. And I learned to say Monte Alexander. That way I blend into the scene here in America. And I talk like this. When I talk like this, people don't ask me, hey, where are you from, man? And they say, and it's tiring to be always asked, being asked, where are you from? Well, the place I'm from is a beautiful island in the sun, has a few challenges, just like everywhere else in the world. But the Jamaica that I remember is my home where I was raised up, Kingston, Jamaica. Kingston, which was a, 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 a the word was King's Town. And through, I think, the British way of saying Kingston, it came out the, what they say, the Cockney way, which was the street folks of London. They would talk the Cockney way, and it came out Kingston. So there's Kingston, New York, there's Kingston all over the world, but Kingston, Jamaica, that's the, that's the one I know. And that's where I ran into um, some wonderful things that came through this powerful, I call it gift. For me, it was like a passport to life, a piano, piano. Piano. This is a guy who came up with, uh, I had a little, we call it condensed milk, the tin, and you tie a string to the end of the tin, and that long string to another tin, and as kids, we'd hold up that tin and somehow when you spoke at that, that, that this tin, the guy at the other end, whether it was 20 feet or however far away, he could hear what you were saying. I don't understand it, but it was some kind of early technology. And um, at school, I was not a mathematical expert. No, no, no. I was, I was not an expert at anything except how to sneak out of school. I am the great sneaker outer of all time. Because, yes, if I had stayed in school, I would have learned some stuff other than a little piano playing, right? And I've come to believe and understand that some folks out there in the world seem to have picked up on my givings, my offerings, and enjoyed it to the, to the point where they'd actually come to the concert. And lo and behold, I start playing all over the world with that same sense of like, wait a minute, how did I get here? I'm looking out into an audience of 2,000 people or 300 or... 50 or whatever, but I indeed played in all those back rooms of America back in the 60s. I played in those places where it was like people said, don't go there, don't go there. Yeah, there was a little piano, you know, and uh, they had a microphone and you, you start swinging and the people would, yeah, have a ball. I remember playing in Newark, New Jersey, and I'm playing the piano behind the bar with two wonderful musicians. I remember Earl May, this delightful, sweet human being who welcomed me into his life, and he was like my big brother. And the drummer, I think, was Bruno Carr. Bruno was a, he played with Ray Charles, and there I am with the big guys. I was like, what, 21, 22, 23 years old. And, and the bartender said, I'm going to take the microphone. I was playing a beautiful song. It was called, uh, it goes like this. Um, Alfie, okay, took the microphone 
And I'm thinking, what, what do you take the microphone for? And there was a woman at the bar, and she had her curlers on, hair curlers. And by this place is 99% people of the African-American community in Newark, New Jersey. And um, the lady had on these curlers, and she was like, she just left home, right? And she was hanging out at the key club, I remember. And she started singing it. I'm into my Alfie song, and all of a sudden, the next time I came to the top of the song, I heard, What's it all about, Alfie? Man, who's that lady with the curlers that she's singing? <laughs> Folks, it was Sarah Vaughan. Miss Sassy is at the, at the bar, and uh, we had a whale of a time. She sang Alfie, and I played Alfie, and Earl was playing, boom, all the great notes. I got off of the piano, and I walked by Sarah Sassy, as we called her, because she was a sassy lady. Yes, she was. And uh, she said, Hello, hello, blah, blah, blah. She took my phone number as if maybe I would go play for her and be her accompanist. Well, that did not materialize, but hey, that's part of life. But um, my whole thing has been a lot of guesswork. A guesswork and a prayer. So I'm not the guy to come to, to give a tutoring about piano when it comes from the books and how Bach did it and how all those uh, practicing people did it. I just sort of went to the piano and had fun from when I was four years old. One of the first things I learned to do was when I used to play what we call cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers. To me, this was like a, a gunshot. Not a very good thing to think about as far as your future because you don't want violence, but I was a kid dreaming. Then I found when I do this on the black notes, I said, that sounds like the breeze would waterfall, just the black notes, and I could hit any note. This is the wind. Like I, like I go to the movies and I'd hear this in the, in the background. But the wind gets fierce and starts scaring you. that time I'd get the goosebumps. So oh man, this is this is scary. Oh and then I said no, I'm gonna go back to the So this became a source of how to express myself in some ways and I was just fascinated and I learned to play. I remember every Christmas you hear um Bing Crosby singing um Then I'm playing the Jamaican calypsos, you know. Uh, let's see, this is called Slam Rangoon. So when I do that, I go right to that place called old time calypso in Jamaica because that's an authentic music that came from Africa and that African rhythm that was known as mento in Jamaica I would go and play all these little songs that were so popular you know
that was rhythm. Jamaica had a rhythm that was so distinct and the piano to me was a drum when I do this. All by myself, I'm having the wheel of a time and my mother would say, man, play me a song, play me a song. And I learned to play some of those beautiful songs. She loves fascination. And I would entertain the folks and they said, Monty, play this, Monty, play that. Monty, this is a six-year-old Monty, I'm entertaining, let me tell you. And they forced me to go to the piano teacher. And I certainly did not want to go to the piano teacher because I had trouble with, with uh, uh, people telling me what I should do or should not do. I was a stubborn little guy, but I already found a smile because of this item. Now, this is a nice piano of today made by the wonderful people, the Yamaha people, who were kind to, to me, and uh, I play Yamahas all over the world. I played all the great pianos, the Bows and Dolphins, the Steinways, and they're all great. Yamaha is something I have here, so I can enjoy the music every now and then. So, all I can say is, it's been quite a ride, and we're still riding. Right now we have this uh, uh, lockdown, and no concerts, musicians are figuring out how to to keep going, to keep active, and to even find ways to get income. And um, I haven't gotten into that, but I know sooner or later, well, hmm, how are we gonna do this thing? Well, I'm a professional musician. I can start my first job getting paid. I was 14 years old in Jamaica. Somebody said, um, hey man, I want you to come play at my little club. And I, was, I couldn't believe it. And I put some guys together from school, and I called a band, I wanted to call it Monty and the Hurricanes, came out, Monty and the Cyclones, and I made some recordings in Kingston, Jamaica. On the, it went on the hit parade. Now this is before the hard reggae rhythms come in with the groove. I was at school, and I would play the songs of Little Richard and uh, from Fats Domino. Uh, let's see. Armstrong, who was my number one hero, had the record at home of Pops, and he said, I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. So I go to the piano and make up all this stuff, right? Whether it was Louis Armstrong, Fats Domino, Little Richard, you know. Are you seeing? <laughs> that was easy on the black keys was to do this. Blues. Blues all over the world. That's called, that's called boogie woogie. Easy boogie woogie. And I took that and I just had a piece of a time. And I go to another key and I say, what key? Let's start any note. B flat. 
That's called B flat. And I said, all right, this is the first time I did. record music in the Jamaican studios, I would sneak out of school so I could do this thing called piano playing and be a part of the band. The, the guys who were already playing the sessions, playing blues because they all love jazz. And I was right in there and we started playing this thing called ska. And ska was just a word to reflect on the afterbeat. When you go ska, 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 and that became a word. But then the Jamaican put a different groove on it and put the backbeat on the bass drum and a whole different attitude that was not far from what we call the mento, the calypso. And for example, you hear something like this. And a whole different attitude came on. This is the early parts of ska. But then you get this kind of ska. playing rhythm and I'm in the recording studios and make, making two dollars or whatever from every song I played on backing up people predecessors to the great Bob Marley and and Peter Tosh and uh, Jimmy Cliff and those guys and this is a little before that now we're playing instrumentals for people coming up with all these rhythms and connected to the, the incredible group of people called Rastaman Rastafarians and they had all these songs that got on hit parade and people falling in love with not just the American music but the Jamaican music. Now as far as the piano, it's hard. I put these reminders of early days but I started to discover the joy of something called harmony. I didn't learn it in a book. I just heard the records and a great uh, teacher for me was this man, Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole had orchestrations behind him and you would hear beautiful tunes that are the ones that became so popular. And um, 
They had the jazz tunes, you know. A monkey took a buzzard for a ride in the air. I'm learning that. The little bebop jazz tunes. But then the harmony, the sounds like when you would hear a tune like, uh, let me try to give you a song. This is the very thought of you. changing one note you can change the color the whole thing and I found that from a very very young age and I started to have just a lot of fun not just with the rhythm but the harmony and this is all coming from my ears listening to the records when I heard Nat King Cole and I heard Frank Sinatra here's a man that nobody speaks about hardly these days it was Eddie Haywood Eddie Haywood had back in the days where an instrumental would become a popular song and he recorded songs and I heard him. I met Eddie Haywood in Jamaica and he, um, he, I, I went to the, play the piano for Eddie Haywood and my father took me to meet Eddie and he, he said, hey kid, do play, play me a song. And I went to it and I, I pretty much got it from the recording he had made and um, he played these songs that had a groove. You could, you know, tap your feet, it wasn't complicated. And this to me, my, this man, we approached this my first sense of what jazz was in a simple sort of way and it was just a smile the whole time we had the songs like um you know soft summer breeze So I played it for Eddie Hayward and he said, man, that's a great kid. He comes all the way to Jamaica to play a concert and he runs into this kid. Uh, I must have been, I don't know, 10 or 11. I could go on and go on and um, tell you that I had this miraculous thing. Because for me, the whole thing has been a miracle. It's just like a light shined on me and I end up getting a career. I even get jobs, starting to get paid little money, take the money and 
take it home, give it to my mother, and she looked at me and said, where'd you get that? As if I'd done something illegal. But no, Monty was playing the piano in Miami, Florida. One night I'm playing in Miami, Florida, and uh, while I'm playing and I had a little combo and I must have been swinging pretty good, in walked some people, including Frank Sinatra, the one and only, Mr. Sinatra, where he is. I put it here just to remind me, you know? So there he is, Frank Sinatra. And I met Frank, and he said something like, hey, I hear you keep your swing there, kid, you're doing great, whatever. But it gave me one new level of confidence that I'm okay, because that's a part of what you do in life, to have confidence that when you hit the note, it's not any note, it's the right note, the right note to sing. And he and Nat King Cole, the great, great Nat, were heroes of mine. And then I heard the instrumentalists playing melodies, everybody from Miles Davis to uh, Clifford Brown to Johnny Hodges, and these guys played melodies that give, give the goosebumps. As if when you heard Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Billy Eckstein, Sarah Vaughan, Ellie Fitzgerald, and it goes on. But um, one thing led to another, and they invited me to come to play the piano in New York City. So I was 19 years old, and this is the, eight, the year 1963, and I got a gig at a place called Jilly's. And Jilly's was a music place, a jazz place, but it was the kind of place where not just the jazz hip cats would come, but just all these characters, show business kind of people, show business wannabe kind of people, Hollywood celebrities, but it was a small place and that's where I would go and play and do some what you call rock the joint because you gotta swing it. It's not sitting there going off into a beautiful place that says, oh, here's a nice song. No, you, you're putting some swinging into the thing, whatever you're playing. And that's where I met Miles. So I'm putting this here to remind myself about Miles. And yes, indeed, Miles complimented me and he came over and he said, hey kid, where you gonna play? Hey, stop saying kid, no more. He said, hey man, we learn that. And next thing you know, I'm hanging out at his house. I remember I went down to the village vanguard where he was playing and uh, he saw me and said, hey man, what's happening? And I went, went to the bar and I, then I went to go, had to go to the restroom. And as I was coming out of the restroom, I heard, I heard a voice on the PA system and the voice said, and I'd never heard Miles say anything on a microphone. He, he hardly spoke. You know, he just went up there, played his horn and mesmerized everybody. And uh, I heard this voice over the microphone, just coming out of the restroom. And there is Miles, and the voice of Miles there said, where is Monty? I said, what, what's this all about? I start to shake. Miles Davis called my name, why? And he says, come on up and play something. So I go up and I play too. So that's one more vote of confidence. And Miles Davis invited me to sit in with his band. In fact, I just played trio with a couple of his rhythm section at the time. And I, you know, I just got to know this man who was so intriguing. Everything he said was something of, I can remember all the many times we were in the same company and I heard him say about this, say about that, say about that. I could write a little book of anecdotes, Miles and me, right? But you know, this is all me blabbing away about this. And after this great musician, Eddie Haywood, I heard Errol Garner. Errol Garner made the piano an orchestra. He would just take you to another place. It would be like the most, you know, you know, I mean, the most, um, he'd make the piano sing.
kind of playing there. Eddie Haywood, Errol Garner, and then I met Oscar Peterson. This man owned the piano. He, he, he like, he's, he's like, he swallowed it, spit it out, and he played anything he wanted. And I heard like, like it was classical kind of sound. <laughs> standpoint but Oscar played in such a way that was like you know he would he would play like he was a band all by himself I met Oscar Peterson, a man who was original, his family was originally from Barbados, I think the other island was St. Kitts, and um, he was just very kind to me. And during that time, I met this other man that while you had these great piano players and they played this incredible thing here, and then you had Oscar Peterson here, he was over here with it. But then a man, I met these, these other musicians that kind of came from here. And the one that did that the most was Mr. Ahmad Jamal. When Mr. Ahmad Jamal played, he didn't just play here, and that was incredible, or he didn't just play there, he was playing here. The whole world of whatever he wanted to play. So Ahmad Jamal is, is a magician of music. He, of course, Duke Ellington was a great inspiration as well. And then, I mean, all these people combined together to give me a love of music, kept me because we all need, uh, what do you call it, inspiration and influences. And um, my piano practicing regimen asked somebody, I said, what do you do when you, when you, how do you practice? Well, I didn't really practice that much, but I started to play a lot in the late 60s and the 70s. I had a wonderful combo of musicians. First of all, Eugene Wright, who played with Dave Brubeck. I had um, a great drummer named Bobby Durham. And we were burning hard when we played. There's quite a few albums to, to demonstrate. And then I met, through the great Ray Brown, I met John Clayton, wonderful bassist. John introduced me to a, his friend from school, Jeff Hamilton. And we, we played all over. It was like about three years of music, of being together, but it felt like it was just like, how did all that happen in that short time? So there was a chemistry between me and my way of leading a band, and it was about friendship on the bandstand. The friendship came through the music, the mutual appreciation, and I valued them very highly. John was a, is a concert master, Boeing bass player, and he comes out of the swinging tradition, started by Jimmy Blanton with Duke Ellington, and then of course Ray Brown himself. And then his colleague, Jeff Hamilton, was like the living embodiment of all of the drummers from, from Buddy Rich to Louis Belson, right on to the modern guys, Jeff has it all covered. So as a trio, we made a lot of music and sometimes when I hear the music that we played, I am just stunned with how amazing it was. The combination, and once again, it was all magic. It's the only word I can use, mystery and magic, because none of it was planned. 
There was very little rehearsal, whatever that means. It would happen on the bandstand. And even though on it, about two recordings that demonstrate what that was about, I have uh, lots and lots of tapes and recordings that whenever I put on that stuff, I, I can't believe it. It's like, it's like came from heaven, you know? Swinging and smiling and it was wonderful. So my, my life has been non-explainable. I can't explain it. Right now I'm just, I, I can't explain it because here I am with my piano and I loved my home country of Jamaica. It was in the later years that Bob Marley came along. And Bob was about the, the greatest of the, the spokespersons for this philosophy that had to do with self-respect. When he wrote Redemption Song. struggle of people coming from Africa against their will when the people who took people against their will and put them in the slave ship and carried them to the Americas whether it was America or the West Indies or to South America and Bob wrote this beautiful talk about need for emancipation as we see it struggling along to improve we cannot help but uh, remember people like Bob Marley and the people that preceded him that spoke about the need for emancipation of people of other backgrounds, let's call it that, you know? So my world is all about trying to bring a smile and harmony that would make us feel a little better about life. Here's a song Nat King Cole gave us called Last April. <laughs> songs like that which we don't hear that much about anymore the last great songwriter was, was, was Stevie Wonder and, and uh, Bert Bacharach and some of the Beatles songs in fact most of them and uh, we lament that age has uh, decreased but the piano is my passport to the world folks and if I go there and I come with a good attitude I, I tell you the walls shake and it's still a ball to play and to share whatever I can share with you. But the stories of being with great musicians 
uh, I have endless memories of the musicians I played with, Sam Jones, Paul Chambers, Ray Brown, in terms of the bass, that is a big part of how this music goes. And then the, all these terrific musicians from all persuasions. You know, I love the guys who play the country westerns. I love the, the country western songs and the blues musicians I've known from B.B. King to uh, music I heard growing up, Jimmy Reed. I'm gonna sign off now because I believe talking too long uh, might bore some people and uh, it's nice to think that some of you are still listening to my blabber. And I sign off now and say, be careful, stay safe, and uh, keep your hand away from your face. Not easy, right? And uh, be wise, be vigilant, and play a little piano if you have one, you know, and make up a song, you know.